Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, we're doing a series at the moment called Sanctifying the Ordinary. Sanctifying the Ordinary. And uh, what that basically means is we're looking at different parts of everyday life and how does that relate to you as a Christian? Or what would that look like? What does the Bible have to say about these parts of life? So that word sanctifying is a biblical term which means you know, to set aside as holy or to make it holy. And so today... We're going to be looking at money, sanctifying the ordinary, sanctifying our money. What does it look like to use our money in a holy way? What does it look like to follow the way of Christ with our money? Money in some form or another has always existed. I mean, the earliest economies, they had barter economies where they traded goods for goods, like for like, and and they made trades like that. And then to make things more convenient over time, they started to have tokens that would represent other goods. So pearls or shells, coins, coins of value, like real value, like gold. Um, Now, our, our form of exchange is mainly plastic notes. Or actually, no, not mainly, not even. Who's got even any cash on them right now? Uh, Our main form is zeros and ones, little binary things that are hanging out there in the atmosphere somewhere. And that's all of your wealth (laughs) is just on someone's computer algorithm. Uh, And it's one way that we make all these convenient purchases and buy houses and cars and shoes and coffees and everything like that. There's even, even more imaginary money like Bitcoin and things like that. And every one of us, each week, we spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a week. So money is something that we're interacting with on a daily basis. We're interacting with it, some on a higher scale than others, some on a very small amount, but all of us need it. All of us use it. It's such an ordinary part of life. So what do we do with it? if we're trying to follow Christ, if we're trying to live in a way that God's called us to. We spend our money on bills, on our rent, our mortgage repayments, food, water, gas, electricity, Netflix, beer, wine, kids' activities, new clothes, at Vinnie's, wherever you like. And when we're trying to figure out how do we make these purchases, why, what should we do, what are we meant to do, thankfully we're not left scratching our heads. We're not left in the dark. The Bible has actually a lot to say about money from the beginning through to the end. Jesus taught about money so much because he knew how much our money and our use of it affects our spiritual life. And there there is this big connect between this zero and one in a bank account and actually our loves and our hearts and and what really goes on in the depth of our being. How we spend our money reveals who we really are and what we really believe and what we really worship. And often how we spend our money and why we spend our money is even tied into our eternal future. And therefore, it's vital that we Lean in on this topic, even if it is uncomfortable, which it is for me. There's one passage in Scripture that I was led to this week. It's Paul's letter to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus, and he was looking after at least one church in Ephesus and different elders. 
And Paul gives him instructions in how to be a good pastor and how to lead these people and how to lead other pastors. And Paul says this. And so if you'd like to open your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. It'll be on the screen. If you'd like a Bible, you can put your hands up and Arby will get you one. And if you're just trying to find it in a Bible, look for all the T's in the New Testament and you'll find them all together. And then you, they're all about three or four pages each, max. And there's two books of Timothy, so you know, just to confuse you if it's new. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. This is the Word of God. <clears throat> As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up, for themselves, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I ask that you may bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. And in Jesus' name, we pray. In order to tackle this subject, I thought we would look at it in a series of questions. Um, studying this passage, these three verses with five questions. And I don't normally do a five-point sermon, but don't worry, it should be okay. Uh, we've got five points, five questions, all those journalistic questions. Who, what, when, why? Uh, so that's what we're going to do today. But the one hope is that we would see that in the end that money is a tool given to us by God to be enjoyed and used for His good purposes. So let's look at question number one. How do we sanctify our money? Well, question number one is this, point number one. Who is this teaching for? Question one, who is this teaching for? Look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age. So Paul outlines his audience and he's clear who he's talking to, the rich. Now, conveniently, when it comes to teaching on money, suddenly no one's rich. Everyone's middle class. Oh, well, must be thinking about someone else, Gina Reinhardt and, you know, Clive Palmer and those guys, Elon Musk. But we're just battling it through here. We can often excuse ourselves and think that we're not the target audience. Imagining, oh, well, I might have some money, but I'm certainly not rich. Now, most of us, I don't know, maybe there's some secret millionaires, billionaires in the room, but compared to the richest of Aussies, yeah, okay, no one in here is rich in that sense. But compared to the vast majority of the world, and even a huge number of people in Sydney, a lot of us are actually loaded. We're filthy rich. Most of us, and this is what you need to be filthy rich, have $100 in savings. You could buy a meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner tonight. You're rich. Most of the developing world can afford about, if that, one meal a day. 
And so when we think about riches, <laughs> you start adding in, okay, not only do we might have $100 in our bank account or in cash on us today, we have shares, property, all of our possessions, cars, clothes, phones, jewellery, every item in our grocery pantry, in our freezer, in our fridge. The fact that we have potential income that we know going into this week, most likely we're going to get paid for vast majority of us. Some of us can even look forward to the future um, where one day you think maybe there'll be inheritance money as well coming through. The reality is, is actually that in, not for all of us, but for most of us, we're actually dripping in cash. We're rich. We're the ones being addressed in this passage. I'm the one being addressed in this passage. Therefore, this teaching is for us. It's a warning for us. It's a protection for us. And it's an instruction to us. But even if you don't grant that you're rich and you think, nah, I don't, I don't agree, that's fine. Paul is actually continuing on a thought he had back verse, you know, in the earlier part of the chapter. And I want to read to you verse 9 and 10. If you have a look in context, it's not just those who are rich, but those who aspire to be rich that he's addressing. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Whether you're rich or you desperately desire to be rich, we're all involved in this passage. Paul is speaking both to the haves and the wish they hads. Being rich is one temptation, desiring to be rich is another, and both have serious consequences for how we live. For the Lord Jesus Christ said this in Matthew chapter 6, 24, no one, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't. It's not possible. So it's vital that we lean in and realize this teaching is for us. Okay, question one, who's this teaching for? Us. The rich and those who aspire to be rich. There's no escaping. So let's look at question number two. I want to ask of this passage, where does our money come from then? If we all have this money, where does it come from? Let's look at verse 17 again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul is crystal clear here. All of our money, all of our wealth, all of our possessions, all of our clothing, all of our food, everything we own, everything we have, everything we have had, everything we will have, ultimately all comes from God. All of our money comes from God. Yes, we might have worked, we might have received it, but it ultimately stems from our Heavenly Father who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's all His. We actually don't own our money. The biblical concept is that we're actually stewards We're managing the money that God has entrusted to us, but ultimately it's actually His money. Last time I preached a giving sermon like this, I actually changed my bank account names in one of my bank accounts to just say the Lord's savings and the Lord's spendings, just to remind me, it's not yours, Riley. How are you gonna use it? Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell within. Job 41.11, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It's his. The clothes you're wearing, they're his. It's all his. And when the Israelites were liberated from Egypt and were walking into a promised land and they were going to be in houses they didn't build, they were going to be in wells that they didn't dig, they were going to have croplands that they didn't sow, the Lord warned them. And this is a warning that rich Australians in Parramatta, like myself, need to hear. He says this, Beware when you enter, lest you say in your heart, Deuteronomy 8, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this Wealth. See the personal possessive pronouns. Instead, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And that hasn't changed. The education you received, the power to study came from God. The power for you to get up each morning and work. That comes from God. The power that other people have earned money and then given it to you in gifts or inheritance or whatever, that also came from God. And the important thing about noticing this is that we've got to also be protected from thinking that money is evil. Money is not evil. Money is a gift from God entrusted to us. Money is a tool that is given. And then it depends on what you and I do with it. It's, in one sense, it's neutral. It's what we do with our money and why we do it that makes all the difference. And we can see this with Jesus. Jesus is obviously the greatest person ever. Uh, and so it's always good to look to the Lord Christ. And how did he view his money? Well, let's, let's just review his life just briefly. How did Jesus view money? Well, firstly, he actually lived simply. He had no home or major earthly possessions. When he was crucified, all he had left was a a tunic. Now, apparently it was a nice one. It was good enough that the guards wanted to cast lots to get it. So he wasn't against having a nice piece of clothing. But he didn't have all that much else. He said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Yet he was happy to allow wealthy women to support his mission. Luke chapter 8 tells us that there were a bunch of women that provided for the whole disciple group. So he used the wealth of others. He wasn't afraid of wealthy people. It was, okay, great, you can help. That's fantastic. We see an example where he praises a widow who gives just a couple of pennies into the temple treasury. He says, that is awesome. But also Mary, Lazarus's sister, pours out a perfume on Jesus' feet just before he's about to be crucified. And it was a year's worth of wages. Imagine taking a bottle of, I don't know, Chanel number no. five. I, I'm assuming it's not $70,000, but imagine it's a $70,000 bottle and just pouring it out on someone's feet. Just $70,000. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? That's crazy. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus is like, no, this is a beautiful offering. So he praises the widow's penny and Mary's extravagant gift. So he's not, it's not the amount, it's the heart. He wasn't stingy at the in John's gospel, Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding. They ran out of wine. What does he do? He makes wine for the whole party so the party can keep going. But he doesn't just make wine like $5 cask wine. He pulls out the best wine. He makes incredible wine so that all the guests get to have good wine. Because what does that verse say? God richly provides us everything to enjoy. Jesus paid the temple tax and declared Caesar deserves his taxes. So he's not afraid of us giving our money to government. Yet, even with all the blessings and the way he uses money, he does tell us in Luke 12 to sell our possessions and give them to the poor. So there's, there's no simple way. It's not, oh, to be a Christian, you have to give away everything and live with just, you know, a linen cloth. That's it. That's all you can have. And it's not that you can just have anything you want and be like, yeah, it's just God's blessing. I'm just living it up. I'm just a son of the king. You know? that, it's not either of those extremes. Jesus wants us to view money in a, in a balanced way as a tool to be used for worship and to serve. He wasn't governed by stinginess or ruled by luxury. That's why Paul says, our riches come from God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And he's not afraid to say that, even when he's telling rich people to share your wealth. He's like, enjoy it too. It's not either or. So money is a tool from God. It comes from him. It's to be used, not hoarded. It's to be enjoyed, not just stored away, but also not to just be used for ourselves. Okay, so a couple of questions. Who is this for? We've seen it's, it's for all of us. It's for the rich and those aspiring to be rich. Where does our money come from? Well, it comes from God. Every last dollar. It belongs to God, must be used in the way God wants us to use it. So how are we meant to use it? That leads us to question number three. What are we meant to do with our money? Question number three. What are we meant to do with this money? What you to just mentally picture or count up. Think, how much money do you currently have access to? Think if you have various bank accounts, cash sitting around, gift cards, property values, stock values. Do a quick mental sum. How many tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, I don't know. 
What are you actually meant to do with all that? Well, in verse 17 to 19, Paul gives a number of commands. And firstly, he does start with the negative. So under question three, what are we meant to do with our money? Let's look at the negative commands that Paul provides in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. Okay, so it's not like give a suggestion if they feel like it. No, this is from the Holy Spirit. If this applies to you, this is what you must do. And I'd submit to you, I think all of us are rich. And therefore, I charge you not to be haughty, nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Two things to avoid. Allowing our money to fuel our pride. Allowing, imagining the, the, the wealth that we have to make us think we're better than anyone else. That word haughty is, is this kind of like puffed up chest idea, this boasting idea, but it can be way more subtle. It can just be that sense of you, you, you might see a homeless person and think, I'm just a bit better than them. I made better decisions. Why are they there? Oh, you don't know their story. But you think that because of your station in life, you're a bit better than them? Money can foster pride. It can make us think we're entitled. I paid for this. Do you know who I am? Paul's saying, if you're rich, don't be like that. Remember, where did it all come from? Secondly, he says, avoid using your money as a source of hope. Charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Surely in 2023 April, we are aware that riches are uncertain. You thought home loan interest rates were fixed at that low rate. The governor, the Reserve Bank governor said, we will not increase them. Next minute, he increases them and suddenly, and I... I some of you are now paying hundreds more. Whatever riches you had are being eaten up. There can be a temptation to look at our bank accounts and just <sighs> feel safe and secure when it's at about the right level. Think, okay. I'm sorted. I'm good. I'm set. I'm secure. But as we know, all it takes is a dip in the share market, an increase in interest rates, a world war. Or even simple things. Like this week in our home, we found that Jesus is saying that do not store up for treasures in on earth where moth and rust destroy. Well, we had all these you know, nice woolen clothing in, in our top shelf of our cupboard and Maddie pulled some of her favourite things down and realised that these carpet beetles had gotten through and eaten through her beautiful you know, woolen beret that she got when she went to France when she was 15 and, and her coat and you think, and I was just like, oh, it's so disappointing but Christ said, moth and rust destroy. We leave it sitting. You could have money sitting in shares and then boom, that, that company goes under and then your wealth is gone. You think your home is your security and then you find out it's ridden with 
some kind of um, structural problem or a mold problem and now it's worthless. Instead, he says, set your hope on God. Rich people, don't boast. Don't think I've got it made. I've got it set. Instead, set your hope on God. And you can trust him because he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So even though your money may never actually fulfill you or provide for you, God will. So set your hope on him. And perhaps it's a good moment just to check your own heart and to think, have I been setting my hope on my wealth? Or on the possibility of future wealth? When I get that house, when I get that job, when I get that inheritance, which is a bad thought. You know, set your hope on God. So that's the negative. What are we not meant to do with that money? Don't, don't boast in it. Don't set your hope in it. What are the positive commands? What are we actually meant to do? Money's a tool. So if you've, you know, if you've got a pair of like pruning shears in your hand, okay, what are you meant to do? Well, you're meant to prune your garden. If you've got a lawnmower, what's it do? Mow your lawn. If you've got money, it's a tool. What's it there for? Verse 18 to 19, five imperatives. The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, And then the thus is added, but it's actually just another command. Storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future so that you may, or that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Money, it's a tool. What's it here for? Look, you have money. Every dollar is given to you and I to do good. Every dollar is given to you in some way so that you could be rich in good works, which is very different to the prosperity gospel that gets preached even in our city in various churches. The promise that you can be rich. God wants you to be rich and to be living like a king and to have earthly possessions so that you can enjoy it here on earth. And it's a false gospel. It's an abomination. It's a total distortion of what the good news of the gospel is. Jesus didn't die to make us rich here on earth. He died to make us rich spiritually. And then every dollar we have is so that we can be rich in good works. Okay, you got more money? Fantastic. You have more opportunity to do good. You got great skills with finances and ability? Great. You can do more and more good works. You can set up foundations. You can start charities. You can give. You can resource churches. You can support world mission. You can care for the poor, the homeless, the needy, women seeking shelter, babies that are putting, put up for adoption, foster system. You, you, you're rich for good works. And it, it sounds like exhausting because we're already so busy, but this is what we've been charged to do. To be generous, not dutiful. I give because I was told to. I feel bad as a Christian if I don't give. No, no, the, 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 the virtue is generosity. Are you a generous person? Are you liberal with your giving? You may be liberal with your spending, but are you liberal with your giving? And I like that last one of those in verse 18. Ready 
to share. If you have means, you're meant to be on the front foot, ready. Not like, oh, it's all tied up or I'm saving it for someone else or like, what if there's a bad day? No, your duty is to be ready to share. It's actually to be on the front foot. Look, who needs? I've got money. I must have it. Where did it come from? Oh, it came from God. Okay, so what am I meant to do with it? Okay, I'm meant to be sharing it. Where am I meant to be sharing it? Who could I share it with? What opportunities do I have? And, and you may not have any today, but you might have some tomorrow. But ready to share. Not reluctant to share, like my heart so often is, but ready to share. Now, these are not suggestions, tips. These are commands. It's been basic to Christianity for two millennia to be generous and charitable. The reason we have a social security system is because the church for hundreds of years, was the social security system in the Roman Empire. The the, the church was the one that housed the sick and the poor. They, They set up hospitals. They cared for people. They even used their money to bury the dead of those who had no graves. So obviously no benefit. The person's dead already. But they, the, the Christians would take the body and give it a nice burial so that the family would have this opportunity for the corpse not to be just let out. That's what the church did. And so for almost a millennia, the church was the social security system. And then in about 1100, 1200, the Christian church and the state merged together and it was a Christian state. And so they took the, what the church was doing and put it into state law in the Roman Empire. And that has continued until today, except the church has dropped out and now it's just the state providing um, for the needs. But the reason we have Centrelink is because of Christians. There was no Centrelink in the ancient world. There's no government payments. It's because of verses like this. It's a great gift of Christians in the past and it's a great legacy that we must continue as Christians in the present to be generous and ready to share. James makes this commendation and command. He says in James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister, so a Christian brother or sister, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, yeah, how wicked these words are, but I'm sure I've done it. Oh, go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now, this is our privilege and our, and our opportunity as Christians is to, to come alive in our faith and be zealous for good works and to be on the lookout. Okay, maybe the government does sense a link, but what else can we do then? If the government's doing that, the tax system's doing that, what else can we do to be invested and involved, using up our money? And the fifth imperative there in verse 19, that storing up treasure for yourself or themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here, Paul is echoing what Jesus said to invest in heaven. When we give on earth, it goes to heaven. 
We make an investment here in other people and sharing our wealth. It goes on ahead of us. We can't take it with us, Randy Alcorn has said, but we can send it on ahead. John Piper has said, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. That means you can't take it with you. Or to put it in Australia, there's no Kennard storage behind caskets. Okay, you don't, it doesn't come. So what you can do with your money now is invest it in sharing and being generous and then you're guaranteed a return. You will meet that treasure again in heaven in whatever those treasures in heaven mean. You don't know tomorrow if the $1,000 in your bank account will still be there. Your bank might collapse overnight and you lose all your money. But if you give today, you know you will see it again in heaven. You'll bless someone now and you'll have the treasure in heaven. That's what he's saying. Store up treasure there. Invest there. But live like heaven is real and show it through your wallet. The Lord Christ said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the vital link. Where we spend our money reveals what we love the most. And giving generously is an opportunity to direct our hearts back to loving God the most. David Mathis says in his great book, Habits of Grace, one of the effects of the gospel going deeper into our souls is that it frees our fingers to loosen the grasp on our goods. Generosity is one of the great evidences of truly being a Christian. Am I generous? Are you generous? So how do we, how do, we do it? How, you know, there's these, all these commands here. There's so much we could do. The key is what David Mathis said there. The gospel going deeper into our souls. When we focus on Christ and what he has done for us and given to us, it loosens the grip on our fingers. That's step one. Don't just do this out of duty, though there may be a time where you do have to just give, even though your heart's not there, because then hoping and trusting your heart will follow. But focus on Jesus. Jesus must be our joy, our hope, our glory, our boast, our song, not our wealth. He must be our guide and our example. And so start thinking, how can I use my riches to do what this verse says? In what ways do I maybe need to live a little bit more simply so that I can free up some of my treasures so I can share them with others? Perhaps if you have two houses, you could consider selling one and repurposing it for the kingdom. Maybe if you have two cars and you don't actually need two, you could sell it and give the money away or give the car to someone who needs it. If you have a garage sale and you can do without the cash, take the cash from the garage sale and give it away. If you work two jobs or have a double income and you have the money to spare, spare it. 
if you can go without a meal or a luxury, if you can invite someone into your home, there's a million ways we can apply these verses. None of them are laws. None of them are legalism. All of it is out of a generous heart and we can get creative. It's just a dangerous question to start asking because it's like, oh, but I like that money and I was hoping I could get that thing. And it's not wrong to get that thing because what did the verse say? God richness gives us everything to enjoy. So it's not one or the other, but let the Spirit lead you in it. And maybe invite people into your life and say, hey, I've got this money. What do you think I could use it for? Or I'm considering purchasing a home, but I'm not sure You know what the verse says, should lay up treasures in heaven, but I also could see how I could use a home here on earth for my family and to bless others. What do you think I should do? Money doesn't have to be taboo, and it shouldn't be in our church. We should be able to talk about it and be real, and there's many of you that do it. And there's many of you who I know who are incredibly generous. And so this is not a smackdown. This is just a reminder. Paul, uh, Paul said earlier in verse 6, if you look down, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we, we will be content. There is a simplicity to life that sometimes having more doesn't actually mean more. Sometimes getting that next gadget or the next meal is actually just more of a pain, more of a hassle, more of a distraction. And just having a bit of food, having some grub, having a jumper to put on, that's pretty good. It's like if, if we're less concerned with those things and we're less disappointed when we don't get them. <laughs> and, and there's a simplicity we can have. Uh, in the Proverbs, it says this, Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Uh, that, that's the biblical perspective. Neither poverty nor riches, using it for others. Okay, so who is this for? All of us. Where does our money come from? God. What should we do with our money? Well, in the negative, don't trust in it, don't boast in it, don't live for it. In the positive, use it as a tool to share with others. Question four, when should we put this into practice? It's a nice sermon. Okay, good points, Paul. Fantastic. Yes, the rich in this present age. I should get around to that at some point, doing some generous things. Now, when should we put this into practice? Now. 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 The, the, riches are a snare. Living for it, desiring it like verse 9 and 10 tells us. <laughs> It can plunge you into senseless and harmful desires, into ruin and destruction. And, and the sense of those verses in verse 9 and 10 is that the desire to be rich has led people to deny Christ and they will go to hell. So there's a real high stakes thing going on with our money. So when should we start putting this into practice? Today. Moth and rust destroy. You don't know the finances you'll have tomorrow. And so I encourage you, put it into practice somehow today. Don't wait till you're rich to be generous. Don't wait till you have more to give more. Just start today. Go home and over lunch, 
Thank God that you even have lunch. And then talk with other people. What can I do today to be more generous for the future? David Mathis says, money is a tool and tools are made to be used. Holding on to money will not satisfy our souls or meet the needs of others. My temptation is to just not use it, hoard it. I like seeing it sit there. But let it be like having a lawnmower sitting in the shed and you got high grass. It's like, well, the lawnmower is there for a reason. <laughs> Paul elsewhere outlines kind of a three-level way of living in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is a, another way of thinking, how can I put this into practice? Well, look at Ephesians 4:28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, that is work, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. John Piper says it's three levels. You can steal to get for yourself. You can work to get for yourself. Or you can work to get in order to give to others. And he says too many professing Christians live only on level two. We work to get and we give a little bit away. But what if we change the whole paradigm to be like, I work to get to give. I took a second job so I could give it. Uh, I've got this thing, how can I give it away? That's the type of thinking that the New Testament calls us to. So when should we start? Now. Maybe you need to take someone out to lunch after church. Maybe you know someone who's in financial need in your life. Maybe you can do something today. But the final question, we're already touched on it a tiny bit, is why? Why should we use our money like this? And I want to reiterate, we don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of shame. We don't do it out of mere duty. But we do it in glad response to what Christ has done for us. Earlier in Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says in chapter 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Why should we give? Well, because Jesus first gave us. He gave, as Joel prayed, of his entire life on the cross to purchase us from hell. You and I were going to hell. We were spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus came, lived a perfect life in our place. On the cross, when we put our faith in Him, deposits His entire spiritual wealth into our bank account. So now we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We are filthy rich spiritually because of Christ. And then He calls us to use everything we have here on earth in service of Him. And then He says, the way I want you to serve me is to love your neighbour as yourself, which means sharing generously the money He gives us. 
You see the logic. It flows out of what Christ has done. We don't give to earn our way into heaven. We give because he earned our way in. Paul said elsewhere, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We're already rich, guys, even if it's not materially. Uh, we have Christ. We have heaven. We will live forever in the new creation. We will have lands and fields and feasting, and there'll be nothing but good forever. So don't waste your life now but send it on ahead. And that's how Paul ends. He says, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Don't be duped. Don't be deceived. True life will not be found in luxury here. True life will only be found in resting in Christ, living for Him and waiting for His glorious return where we will have life and life to the full and life forever. So friends, take hold, snatch, grab true life. And the definition of it is free generosity in response to the generosity of the King who laid His life down for you. So, with every dollar we have, every bit of wealth and potential wealth, what are we, what are we meant to do? We're meant to see that money is a tool to be enjoyed and to be used for God's good purposes. Let's pray. Lord, I pray and ask that you would do the impossible in my life and my friend's life, that you would convert our bank accounts and our wallets, that you would loose us from the love of money. And Lord, would you help us to be content, most of all, in knowing you, rather than lusting after riches and how we can gain and gain. May we eagerly desire to know you more. Oh Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us even now today to put this into practice, to be set free from the love of money, to not desire to be rich and fall into many harmful and senseless ruin, but instead to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, to store up treasure in heaven. Lord, do a miracle in me and my friends and help us. Even those who are already generous, help us to be even more generous. For those who are hardly generous at all, would you change them to start looking with new eyes as to how they can use their money in a holy way, in the way that you've called them to? And we thank you most of all for the spiritual riches we have in Christ. Oh, for the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, in estimable worth. His precious blood that saved us. Better than any gold, better than any silver, better than any bank account, any return on investment. We share in the blood. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.